Okay. So we're going to um, we're going to transition here really quickly. Okay. Ready? Joseph. Okay. We are in a series. Uh, we are in a series in the book of Genesis on the life of Joseph. We started this series uh, last week. And uh, it's in uh, Genesis chapter 37 is where we were last week. This week we're going to be in Genesis chapter 39. Now, I would encourage you, I always encourage you that if you didn't get a chance to um, be here last week, that you go on, you, that you get on Conduit Ministries app. We have a free app on any smartphone. Um, and you can listen to all the sermons on there. You can also give on there. There's a Bible on there. It has lots of uses um, or you can hop on the website and listen to any of the messages. So listen to part one of Joseph if you didn't, uh, if you weren't here last week. Uh, but the gist of where we left off last week is that Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers, and um, it it displays a pretty interesting family dynamic here when you have brothers that care so much for you that they're willing to spare your life but still sell you into slavery. Um, And we learned why uh, maybe it's really important to keep your mouth closed uh, even if what you are saying is the truth because it can get you into a lot of trouble. Um, So we're going to pick up the story here in Genesis chapter 39 where Joseph is in slavery, um, he ends up in the house of a man named Potiphar. So uh, we're going to read the first six verses of Genesis 39. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites, who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, And he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So he left left in Joseph's care everything he had, With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food that he ate. Uh, So this is the first part of the story of Joseph and Potiphar. It doesn't end as good as it begins, okay? But um, there are some important uh, things that I think we can can draw out of these first six verses of Joseph's story or relationship with Potiphar. Uh, Now, imagine um, Joseph being bought as a slave by this man. 
Um, not necessarily a circumstance or a relationship or a situation that we would describe as ideal or goal worthy. Like, you know, when I grow up, I really want to be a slave of someone, you know. I, you know, that, that really represents for me what I believe to be God's best. If God is blessing me, I know that someday I'll be able to, to be a slave. Now, no one would say that and no one believes that, but it becomes pretty apparent here that it didn't really matter what Joseph was doing, that God, God was with him. That God was blessing Joseph, everything that, everything that Joseph put his hands on, everything that Joseph set out to do. It didn't matter his, where he was or his location. It was more about that God was with him in his enslavement, even. Um, and so, what, what, like, what does that even, like, tell us about God? What does it tell us about Joseph? What does it tell us about the whole thing? I think um, this, this one thing, just because you are enslaved doesn't mean that God has abandoned you. Just because you may feel like you are um, enslaved to something, that you have you know, shackles on your wrists, shackles on your ankles, that you are carrying um, a heavy, a, heavy un, un, a burden that is undue or not fair. There's a, that you are, that your mind is enslaved, that your body is enslaved, that you feel powerless to be your own person is not evidence that God is not with you. We, I don't want to say typically, but we have come to believe for whatever reason in a very either or, a very black or white dichotomy about life when it comes to struggle and God's presence or blessing. And we, 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 we've come to believe that the two are mutually exclusive. Like, if I'm enslaved to something, if, I am, if I'm struggling, right? If, if I can't get out of my own head, or I can't beat this addiction, or all my relationships are falling apart, or I've fallen on um, really difficult financial uh, times, or, or whatever the case, you, you, you add into the blank there, whatever it be, I'm going through all of this, therefore it must mean that for whatever reason I did something wrong, I did something bad, God is angry with me, he wants nothing to do with me, and he has separated himself from me. This comes out of a, kind of a, a culture even within the church that has been created over years and generations and generations that, that, we, um, that we are only as good as the good things that we do, right? Like, if you're a good person, you'll get good things. If you're a bad person, you'll get bad things. And so 
We get really frustrated with God, and we tend to get confused, right? And we tend not to understand what is going on in our spiritual life when we feel like we are trusting God and and wanting to follow Him and, and praying regularly and in the Word and engaged in a relationship with Him. And then over here, the circumstances of life keep falling apart, and we think somehow we're either doing it wrong, or this God thing isn't real, or God must be angry with me, or or... X, Y, or Z, we make the two mutually exclusive, right? Where when the, the, the whole of Scripture really declares, and the, the life of Joseph exemplifies for us, right? That, that hardship and God's presence can go hand in hand. That they can be, that they can be the, the, the two the two rails of the, of the you know, the, they're parallel rails. That It's not like things are good, God is with me. Things are bad, God is not with me. Or vice versa. It can be both. If circumstances of life aren't 100%, then God must be absent. What the life and example of Joseph shows us is that you can be in the most unideal place you would have ever imagined, enslaved in a foreign country, not a person, you, you don't have any say over your life, your life is not your own, and God is still with him. That the worst circumstance of his life did not mean that God was absent. It actually indicated that God was extremely present for Joseph. We just talked a few minutes ago, and um, you know our, our number one core value here at Conduit is that Jesus is everything. Jesus is everything. He is the beginning and the end and the middle, right? That they're that the gospel of Jesus Christ changes it all when the gospel is inserted into any situation, then all bets are off. If the incarnation of Jesus Christ tells us anything, it should tell us this about God, okay? Is that God does not retreat or retract himself in our brokenness or in our slavery. That, that God actually presses in further when we are broken. He actually presses in in an even more deep way when we are enslaved in life. He, he enters our story and immediately goes to work to restore and redeem everything that we are and everything that happens. He doesn't stay far away when things are bad. He gets closer. He joins us in our enslavement. Completely like, that may, that, that strikes at the very heart of what like contemporary culture tries to feed us is that um, is that 
God is with us when, we're, when it's good and when it's bad, God is, has retreated or retracted his presence from us. And the very incarnation of Jesus Christ himself tells us that the opposite is actually true, that God runs towards our brokenness rather than retreating away from it. That God wants to, he takes the initiative to, he enters into all of our ickiness, all of our slavery, everything that keeps us here enslaved in an effort to set us free. Now, I know that it is maybe a, to talk about slavery, right, is maybe kind of, kind of far out there, right? Like, well, you know, slavery is not really a, a modern, it's not really a modern ideal. It's kind of hard for us to be, to apply it to our own lives. Well, yeah, I'm sure God does join jo- Joseph in his slavery, but I don't, have any idea what that even like what that even means, right? I've never been a slave to anyone, and you're probably right. So you're probably not a slave to anyone, likely other than yourself. Right. Just because you've never lived in someone else's home as their slave, where they do absolutely everything, or you do everything that they tell you to, doesn't mean that you're not. A slave. You see, we, we get enslaved by, by all kinds of things. Like, we are, we are enslaved by this demon of comparison. Like, well, I'm not as good as him. I, I don't have as much power or position or authority as her. I don't make as much money as this person. And my, I'm not as good of a mother. I'm not as good as a father. I'm not as good as a wife. I'm not as good as a husband as X, Y, and Z. If I just had what they had, if I just had what she had, if I could just get to that place. And we we put ourselves in this cycle of comparison to every single person so much so that we forget to live our own life, right? We become enslaved to a comparison that is not our own. We become enslaved. Any, anyone, anyone enslaved to that little device that in your hand and that you used to make phone calls on now, but now you just like post memes on Facebook and text people? Anyone feel at times enslaved to something small? How about enslaved to your calendar? Anyone ever feel like, like you are powerless against your schedule. Like it, it does not, your calendar doesn't set you free to do the things that God has, has gifted you and asked you and called you to do, but that it actually, it like has chained you to do the things that you have to do. Uh, how about being enslaved to other people's opinions of you? How about being enslaved to maybe a, a little bit more applicable um, thing that we're enslaved to. Anyone ever been enslaved to an addiction? Been addicted to something? Something that you feel like you are powerless to control on your own, but that controls 
you. Listen, in all of those things, in, in, in the way that you compare yourself to others and other people's lives, in the, in the busyness of your calendar that you don't feel like you can escape from, in your worry of other people's opinions, in the addiction, God wants to enter that mess of your enslavement and immediately go to work to restore and redeem and bring purpose to that. He wants to change that. He wants to join in on that part of your life. It's not, se- it's not a separate thing for him. And him, him joining in those, those messy areas of life, like God being proximate to those things, is not him saying, oh, I approve of all this. I, I approve of the decisions that you're making. I, 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 I approve uh, of you consistently over overbooking your schedule. I approve of this enslavement. No, that's not that's not it. God doesn't get close to only the things that he likes, right? God gets close to the things he's going to redeem. God gets close to the things that he's going to restore. God gets close to the things that he's working intimately to change. Your slavery might not be in the home of someone else, but your slavery may be in your own mind that you can't get out of your own way. And I'm here to tell you this morning that God wants to enter into the midst of that slavery and repurpose it for his glory. Repurpose it for a plan that you don't see, that's not yet, that, that, that whose season and time hasn't come. But as we'll see in the story of Joseph, that, the, that, that Joseph's enslavement in the house of Potiphar was the planting of a seed that was not going to come to harvest for years down the road. Years down the road. That God was moving to restore and redeem even, repurpose even in this moment. Uh, number two thing here, just like, um, just like the first point that just because we're enslaved to something doesn't mean that God has abandoned us, right? Number two is just because we're enslaved to something doesn't mean that God can't or won't use you to effectively serve others. Well, you know, I, I really struggle and uh, really struggle with this. And uh, I don't have freedom and I don't have victory over this. And I, um, for whatever reason, I can't get out of my own way, right? I can't, I can't beat this thing. I can't loose these chains. I can't, I can't walk with freedom. And so um, I really can't, I really can't serve or help anything. Like, I, I haven't arrived yet. I just haven't gotten there yet. And I, there's this, apparently, it's news to me, but apparently there is this invisible, magical place that you must arrive to before God can use you and your story and his Holy Spirit within you to serve and to help others. Like, no way, no way can you, no way could God possibly use me. So I'm just going to wait until God really fixes everything that's inside of me and really 
frees me from this stuff and really takes me to that next step in life. And then I'm going to jump. Then I'm going to jump headfirst into serving others and 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 understanding how God wants me to love other people and maybe volunteering here or getting in, involved in this. And then everything will be great. Say, like, listen, you're wasting time because the the reality is this: is that you. God does not require your freedom before he can use you to serve and effectively serve others. Look at, look at what Joseph, look at what, how it describes Joseph's life with, in Potiphar's house. It describes him as fully and 100% enslaved. Not free in any way, shape, or form. A complete slave. Now, does Joseph just sit back and be like, well, I'm a slave, so nothing good can come from this. I couldn't, I couldn't possibly bring any help or service or blessing to others. God, God couldn't possibly use the, the parts of me that he has gifted me with or who he has created me to be to help others. So I'm just going to ho-hum my way through this slavery and feel really bad for myself and just kind of be lazy and not do a good job about with anything really in life. No, he, he didn't. Like we don't, it doesn't really describe the attitude of Joseph here, but we get these, we get this, I think we can get this sense, we can understand this idea that, that Joseph didn't see his slavery in Potiphar's household as a disqualification or a reason for him not to work really hard, have good character, um, be good even in his enslavement, because now through his own like management of Potiphar's household and gifts and skills, he could be a blessing to his master. And that's exactly what happened, right? Is that, is that as it turns out, Joseph was apparently really, really good at his job and wasn't like this, woe is me, look at how sad my story is, I'm enslaved, boo-hoo-hoo, I can't do anything right. But he set his mind towards doing what he could, working hard, using the gifts and personality that God had given to him. And in turn, right, everything that Joseph put his hands on, God blessed Everything that Joseph got involved in turned out good. That, that, that he became so good at his job, apparently, that, that, the, that the man who bought him as a slave said, you know what, man? You're in charge of everything here. Just don't got to report to me. I don't need to know. Like, I'm not going to be worried about anything because you are serving so effectively. Do you think that changed Potiphar's life? Do you think that changed his outlook? Do you think that set Potiphar free to do his job better, to do his life better, to do his work better? You better believe that it did, right? All because Joseph didn't see his slavery as a reason to not do a good job in the other parts of his life. And, and just because you may feel like you are under a burden that you cannot get out of, that you are enslaved to something that you can't get free about, whether it's something in your mind, right, this comparison or this, um, 
or this feeling of, uh, or this addiction, or a, a, a busyness, doesn't, doesn't mean that God can't effectively use you and your story to bless and serve and radically affect others. I mean, honestly, that's kind of all that the Brave event was, right? It's like, how, how did these ladies' story right, of, of their trial, right, of their, of their difficulty, of their, of their bravery, of their victory, of their enslavement, of their current, right, of their current situation, encourage, bless, persuade, push other girls into saying, you know what, my story, God, God is knitting and weaving my story together to make something beautiful and I maybe don't see it now but there is a purpose to my pain and God will bring it about. See we have this mistaken notion that we have to that we have to exit the struggle bus in order to help someone else. Like we gotta we gotta the struggle bus has gotta pull over and, and we gotta we gotta walk off it. Let me tell you something, all right? I drive the struggle bus. Right? I am the pilot of the struggle bus. Right? I, can, I, I will testify to that. That there is, that, that, that just because, that just because, just because you, f- you feel like you can't get off the struggle bus doesn't mean you can't help others. Guess what? No one ever gets off that bus. No one ever gets off that bus. We're all riding the same bus. Right? No, 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 one ever, no one ever exits and has it all figured out. You, you, may, you may look at someone and be like, well, I mean, that person kind of looks like they got it all figured out. Their family's intact. They make a good living. They always seem happy. Right? Um, be careful. Because <laughs> it ain't true. Right? No one ever gets off that bus. Right? We're, we're, we're sitting next to, right, the people that were, just going to put the armor on and be like, yeah, I'm, I'm on the struggle bus too. We're, you know, what, where, where's your next stop, right? Like, let me serve you. You serve me. We'll serve the people ahead of me. We'll serve the people behind me. We will serve each other. We will encourage and mutually encourage each other. All right? But the story doesn't end there, right? No jeepers. Um, the story doesn't end there. As we go on, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hey, well, here, listen. Remember last week? Does anyone ever? Who was here last week? Yeah, I, I got done ten minutes early last week. All right, so I'm flexing that into this week. All right. Um. <clears throat> so that's not the end of the story of Joseph and Potiphar, though, right? Because it's like everything with Joseph and Potiphar is two thumbs up, right? But in verse 8, it seems like everything um, switches here. And I want to make one point about this, and then we'll end for the day. Um, Okay, so we're at the end of verse 6. Now, Joseph was well-built and handsome. And like John Staley, right? Well-built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife, took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. 
subtle. <laughs> but he refused. He refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties and none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called her household servants Look what, and, and said to them, This Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. Does closeness with God always mean that circumstances are going to be favorable? Well, apparently not, right? Because it, Joseph is like enslaved, right? It's going good, it's going good, it's going good. Ahead of Potiphar's household, right? False accusation. And what we're going to see later is that Potiphar throws him in prison, right? Because of a false accusation of trying to sleep with Potiphar's wife. Now look, um, we could preach a whole series of sermons off of this one point here, but I'm going to make it, right, I'm going to make it brief and say this. In the face of especially, in the face of sexual temptation, your only response should be to flee. To flee. Now, Scripture is not, does not mince words about this, right? It does not, it does not seek to, um, like, encourage us to stand strong and fight the good fight against temptation. No, Scripture says actually the exact opposite, that in the face of temptation, especially in the face of sexual temptation, that the best option is always to flee. To run away in the opposite direction as fast as you possibly can. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18, he says, flee I think we have it here. Flee from sexual immorality. Flee from it. Do not stick around and try to figure it out. Don't, do, not, do not try and make sense of it. Do not try and beat it. Like when you encounter it, flee from it. There is no, there's no like um, translation issue here. Like, well, sometimes it means to just like Sit around and look at it for a little bit first. <laughs> like, it's okay. 
I can, just, I can get close to it as long as I don't touch it, right? No. No, like, turn your back, like, get in the starting blocks and run. Run. Flee from it. Get away as quickly as you can. Later in the same um, letter to the Corinthians, um, Paul says something similar about temptation in general. First uh, Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, when he says, No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, he will also provide a way where? Out! So that you can stand up under it. Joseph's response in the midst of temptation here is a good, is, is a good example. Right? We talked a lot about uh, how Joseph is a bad example of a lot of things. We talked about that last week. But in this example here, we see that in the face of that temptation, Joseph knew that his best option in that moment, right, where she grabbed onto his cloak, right, and said, come to bed with me, was to, it doesn't matter if I'm leaving my, the evidence of me being in the room there. I'm not going to stick around to give my explanation. I'm not going to try and reason my way out of this, that the only response that I have in this moment is to run away from thing as quickly and as far as I can and let the chips fall where they may. And that's apparently exactly what happened. There's not a whole lot of practical application to this because, um, because there's not really a whole lot needed, right? Other than to say, right, that, that the closer and closer and closer and closer that we get to temptation, the further and further and further away that we get from safety. The further and further away we get. Fleeing might not look like actually physically running. Fleeing may look like throwing away your smartphone. Fleeing may look like um, changing jobs. Fleeing may look like moving. Fleeing may look like Ending a relationship, a friendship, right? An association, a business relationship. Fleeing looks like a lot of different things. It might not look like physically running away, although it might look like physically running away, right? Fleeing looks a lot like doing everything that I possibly can with zero exception whatsoever to maintain my spiritual health by running away from temptation when I recognize it right before me. And this goes for sexual sin as much as it does 
any sin is that I am not to stand and fight like I am somehow some immune spiritual warrior that is on a mission to defeat all sin and temptation. I got a word for you, right? It's that Jesus is that person. He already did that thing, right? You don't need to fight a battle that you've already won, but winning does not look like standing in the pocket. Winning looks like running away. That's what it is. Flee from sexual immorality. Period, exclamation point, close the book, done. Bad grammar, I know, but you get the point, right? Here is where um, my 10 minutes of flex time is over, right? Here is where I want to take um, it this week, all right? Is that I don't know if Joseph saw or didn't see the presence of God with him in the midst of his slavery. The Bible doesn't tell us that. I don't know if he, does, he did or not. But what I do know is that when we come to a place of being perceptive of God's presence with us in the midst of our struggle, it both encourages us and strengthens us to persevere and to be steadfast and to trust him in the midst of our bondage, all right? And so we sometimes make our spiritual life a lot more difficult or complicated than it needs to be, right? By asking kind of rhetorically into the wind, where is God in all of this? Why isn't he helping me? Why can't I get out of this thing? Why can't I beat that? When the perspective of changing that question that you're just kind of like spewing out into nowhere and maybe actually asking him to reveal himself to you in the midst of what you were experiencing you will see what you are experiencing through the lens of what he is seeking to do in you through it rather than just from suffering in the enslavement. Does that make sense? Right. So, so the prayer for this week, right? If you, if you are a person who prays, if you are a person who wants to pray, if you are a person who wants to who, who is enslaved to whatever that thing is and desires to see how and where God is present in the midst of that, like he was present in the midst of Joseph's enslavement. Captain Obvious, right? Why don't you ask him? Show me, Lord, how. Show me where. You are with me and working in this moment. Show me, Lord. Give me a glimpse of how you are working in and through this situation to restore, to repurpose, to bring redemption to my life and the life, listen, 
the life of the people around me. Because your story is not just your own. Your story is also the story of redemption and salvation of others. Because Joseph's enslavement of Egypt, that were in Egypt, leads to the salvation of the people of Israel in such a significant way that without it, right, the people would have been destroyed. Lord, show me that you are always with me, no matter where I am, no matter what I am going through. You know, the crazy thing is that when we pray prayers that God wants us to pray, you know what happens? He answers them. Lord, make me more holy. Father, help me to be more like Jesus. Lord, help me to see, show me, Lord, where you are, where you are with me in this. Help, help my perspective to change. God will answer. And God will answer faithfully and quickly. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for... Um, Father, we thank you for the work that you um, started yesterday at Brave. Lord, I pray for each and every one of those girls... You, Lord, you know them by name. You see them all. Not, not a single one has been forgotten by you. Not a single one has been abandoned by you, Lord. You know each and every one of their names and their situations. You know where they are right now. You know what is in the depth of their heart and soul. You know what their fears are. Um, you know where they are in bondage. And Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would reveal yourself to them in such a powerful and incarnational way that they may trust in you to break the bondage of their lives. Lord, and we pray that as a church, that we would not be one and done, event and then over, but Lord, that we would press into relationship with as with, with as many girls as possible, Lord, so that we can be both proclaimers but also incarnators of the love of Jesus Christ in them. Lord, show us where you are working, moving, and being present in the midst of our slavery. In Jesus' name, amen.